the first episode of the PollenCast. In this series, we will be exploring various topics in the allergy world, starting with a little world history. I'm your host, founder and editor-in-chief of Emerging Allergy Treatments, Jackson Mayer, and today we will dive into the history of allergies. So before we jump into this podcast, or should I say PollenCast, um, we need to um, introduce our special guest today. Hello, my name is Chase. I am a staff writer for Emerging Allergy Treatments, and today I'll be accompanying Jackson during this pollen cast discussing the world history of allergies. Thank you for the gusto, Chase. Yeah. Um, so before we, um, like one final thing that we need to do um, before we go into this podcast is that we need to credit our sources, which include National Institute of Health, Immunology.org, National Geographic, CNBC, Healthline, CNN, and um, the History of Allergy um, volume in the Chemical Immunology and Allergy series published by Carger, um, which is the book that um, the National Institute of Health used. So, um, let's start, you know, at the very beginning, I think. Um, So, uh, when I say the very beginning, I don't mean the very beginning of the history of allergies. I mean that the very beginning of history in general, really. Because um, allergies were um, uh, recorded as early as Mesopotamia, um, known as the cradle of civ- human civilization. The first so, human civilization The first human civilization ever. So allergies are literally as old as the dawn of civilization, and um, they continue to be recorded in other um, ancient civilizations, including Egypt, China, indigenous America, Greece, and Rome. As a matter of fact, our word for asthma originates from ancient Greece. Um, it directly translates to short of breath, which pretty well sums it up. Yep. <laughs> And eczema um, also comes from ancient Greek, from the word exine, which means um, break out, as in breaking out in a rash. Now, I will admit that the vast majority of the words that we use in English these days also come from ancient Greek, but, you know, and a Latin roots, but still kind of a cool thing to point out. So, um... Proves that um, allergies existed in ancient Greece. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, um... Perhaps the most interesting part of this, actually, is that Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar and the first leader of the Roman Empire, um, widely acknowledges one of the greatest human leaders ever, had severe allergies. So, very interesting interesting, um, little tidbit of information um, that it was um, already affecting a wide variety of people um, back in ancient times. So, um... Chase, you wanna? If we jump forward uh, a lot, like a, a lot, a lot of time, then in 1859, Charles Blackley, a Manchester doctor who suffered from hay fever, discovered the cause of said hay fever to be pollen. Um, he discovered this by experimenting on himself. Interesting thing is, is that this took place in the same time as the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. And also in what is known to be the center of the Industrial Revolution, Manchester, England. Yes. So, um, I guess that um, the um. That, you know, industry was not the only pioneering um, thing development of the time, but um, allergies were as well. And Charles Blackley did experiment on himself, which is an interesting choice. But it kind of goes to show that back then, allergies were not as common, meaning maybe he didn't have any access to other um, test subjects. Again, this is just speculation. But um, another thing that has happened recently is that, um, you know, dropping way ahead in history, 
is that um, allergies have skyrocketed um, due to, I believe, the widely, one of the, at least one of the widely acknowledged reasons is that um, humans have, you know, gone outside less and have oh. used such things as disinfectant, meaning that they are less exposed to, you know, a variety of potential allergens, meaning that their um, immune system is not used to them and therefore more likely to develop allergies. But again, that's not really the main Well, and the podcast. industrial revolution led to the technology that is making people go outside less. So these exactly. two events have Very a interesting. So they, um, yep, they happen concurrently. So um, then um, in 1905, um, Clemens von Perquet, um, a, I think I pronounced that correctly. Apologies yeah, if I did not. Um, he was an Austrian pediatrician, and he found that allergies um, were being caused, as we had just sta stated, by the immune system overreacting. So essentially what happens in an allergic reaction, for those of you who do not already know, is that your immune system views an allergen um, as, you know, an antigen that can do harm to your body, even though it's not, even though it's totally harmless. This means that your immune system develops antibodies in order to combat the allergen, uh. right? Which... Um, and this overreaction of your immune system is actually what causes the um, the allergic reaction. It's not really the allergen itself that's bad for you. Interestingly enough, COVID actually worked in a similar way. Oh, Again, this is not this is kind of more common knowledge. I'd say um, wasn't listed by one of the above sources, but I'm sure that the National Institute of Health has a billion different articles yeah, about yeah. this. Whatever. Um, where um, and so as do. I'll probably a lot of the other sources listed, um, where essentially what happens is um, uh, your body overreacts to COVID um, and um, engages in something called the cytokine storm, in which um, yeah. much liquid is generated in order to try to combat COVID. Your and, body overreacts. And yeah, and you is... essentially drown in that liquid oh, yeah. Um, because, yeah, sorry, um, because it, um, or maybe not, maybe that's not the technical correct, technically correct term for that, but it at least um, clogs up your lungs and yeah. But pretty much, interestingly enough, COVID is very similar to allergies in that respect. And um, Von Perquet um, was also the one who, after discovering exactly what an allergy was, also created the term. So, um, yeah, he created the term allergy, which, of course, we now use today. So that is one word that does not have ancient Greek roots. Um, no, exactly. I Well, maybe it does. Maybe yeah, he maybe. just, you know, used some roots. I don't know. But... It wasn't created in ancient Greece at any rate. Um, what about the next thing, Chis? So, um, 43 years later, in 1948, corticosteroid, that's a weird word, was found to treat asthma. And this is now used in um, steroid inhalers. Um, inhalers created by a 13-year-old daughter of George Mason. Mason. Yeah, so it's an interesting story where essentially what happened is um, George Mason was the head of a... Um, don't not totally sure if it was a pharmaceutical company. I'm assuming it was. Um, called Riker Laboratories. Um, he was the president of it, and his 13 year old daughter suffered from asthma. Um, and she had an idea one day. She was like, "Well, why don't we just use um the asthma medicine, right? Uh, yeah. Why don't we just put the asthma medicine into a spray, right? What that is? goes directly to your lungs, ah. so that it can treat it. I believe topically." Um, Interesting. again, don't quote me on some of this, this like, you know, like medical jargon, but I believe that that's, that that's, um, well, um, you know, that that's the concept behind an inhaler, which is now of course uh, the so widely the accepted, yeah, treatment 
for asthma. Um, so it's interesting. The origin of that is that, you know, the 13 year old daughter, um, kind of came up with it, which yeah. is, which is, um, pretty incredible. Um, so and another, yeah, um, extremely important tool against allergies alongside inhalers are EpiPens. Um, yes. So anaphylaxis was discovered in 1913, so going back in time a bit, by Charles Richet, who won the Nobel Prize for his discoveries. Yes. So anaphylaxis, as all of you who have allergies know, um, and maybe for those of you who don't have allergies know, because it is such a large problem, um, is pretty much the most extreme version of an allergic reaction, yeah. right? So this yeah. is when allergic reactions cross the border from being uncomfortable to life-threatening. Um, so anaphylaxis can include, you know, tightening of the throat, um, vomiting, um, and, you know, things of that nature. So, um, um, pretty much it was, uh, discovered or really, I think, I'm not sure if it was discovered at that time, but, um, it was like the concept of it was found then and maybe, you know, past, um, reactions that were henceforth that were, um, un until up until then, um, unexplainable, um, you know, it turns out that. They were just examples of anaphylaxis, and that's what Charles Richet um, found. So, so how do we treat anaphylaxis, this deadly uh, allergic reaction? So, adrenaline was discovered by biochemist Yokichi Takamine. Yeah, again, sorry for the pronunciation. Um, he the, he discovered it um, around the beginning of 1900, um, and it's it was used to actually treat many things. Um, well, okay. By the way, um, adrenaline. As most of you probably, you probably know, most of you probably know adrenaline, not as a treatment, but, you know, as um, a natural hormone that your body gets um, during, you know. Intense situations. Yes, intense situations, before. times of danger, whatever. Um, but um, uh, it began to be created synthetically. Um, it's also known as epinephrine, which, you know, um, you can probably already tell is where EpiPens got its name, but whatever. Um, it was um, used synthetically to treat the bubonic plague, um, even to treat cardiac arrest. Isn't that death? Cardiac arrest is, I'm not sure the technical thing, it's some sort of thing. I think we, your heart pretty much starts beating. That's but nice. I think that you can maybe, I don't know, I don't know how this works. I'm guessing that because adrenaline kind of pumps up your body oh, with indeed, energy, yeah. it can, like, you know, Similar shock to, your heart uh, back uh, into. Uh, what's the defibrillator? Yeah, 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 I think so. Like, to have, like maybe, maybe. I don't know the medical explanation, no yeah, but right. it probably That's does something like right. that where it shocks it back into action. Or, well, it definitely does because there's no other way to solve cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. But that's probably why is because, um, you know, um, pumps up your energy levels and all that. And also it's been used uh, to treat anaphylaxis and yes. asthma. And well, asthma. So, um, yeah. So the EpiPen is essentially um, a, um, it's a device um, that people with allergies are instructed to carry with them at all times. Um, where pretty much what you do is um, you can inject yourself with the EpiPen and um, all it does is put adrenaline into your bloodstream pretty much, yeah. and then it's really, really a lifesaver because as long as you do it within a sufficient time frame, you will be able to solve an anaphylaxis reaction. Yeah, as long as you call 911 immediately. Yes, as long as you call, of course you have to call 911 immediately afterward because the EpiPen is only effective for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I believe maybe 20. Um, I think I'd have to check that, but sure the conservative time. estimate is definitely 10. Um, in, um, it's only, uh, it only works for 10 minutes afterwards and then afterwards the hospitals, you know, they have like machines that can pump adrenaline to you and all that. 
Um, but, um, I believe. Um, but that's pretty much what an EpiPen is. And as long as you use it quickly enough after developing an anaphylaxis reaction, you pretty much, and you know, you, you keep the adrenaline flow, flow after calling 911, you are pretty much, um, I don't want to say guaranteed to survive, but you're given a you're, pretty you're, good chance yes, of survival. Yes. So, um, it, it really is a lifesaver. And as long as you have, you should probably try to keep at least two EpiPens on you at all times. Um, because oftentimes it takes the ambulance 20 minutes to arrive. Um, and you know, with a 10 minute time frame, right? Apply yes, pen, exactly. So um, but as long as you have a sufficient amount of them, it's difficult to die from an anaphylaxis reaction. But anyway, the EpiPen was approved by the FDA as early as 1987. That's still 87 years after adrenaline was discovered. So it took a long time to create and finalize. Yes, exactly. So, but it is a slightly scandalous thing because what happened was in 2009, the EpiPen cost just $103.50, right? That's a lot. Which is a lot for an EpiPen, especially considering that um, the adrenaline, I think it only costs, I'm not sure, but like a, pretty much just a few dollars to make. It costs a lot less than that to make. Yeah, I'm not sure how they got away with selling it for that Well, much. here's the thing. They essentially, Mylan, the company that was making the EpiPen, essentially had a monopoly on the EpiPen because at that time, no other um, uh, device, you know, adrenaline injecting device, I do not believe was approved by the FDA, meaning they could charge as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted because people needed this to survive. By 2016, it cost $608. Of course, there's some inflation involved, but that's still... Like, Rounded to 609 yes. Um, it's, like, it's an insane yeah. amount. It, it is an insane amount, yes. Um, which is ridiculous because, you know, they were pretty much taking advantage of all these people who had allergies and who needed EpiPens to survive and just upcharging them to ridiculous quantities. Um... Not sure what the exact effects on this were on perhaps um, less wealthy people, but $600 is no joke, and that's just for two EpiPens, I believe. Or maybe just for one EpiPen. I'll have to fact check that. But just for one or, uh, one or two EpiPens, that's no joke. Um, and that meant that they either had to suffer just because of, you know, a you know, company yeah. that was trying to take advantage of them, or maybe they weren't even able to purchase these EpiPens and therefore put themselves in danger um, of losing their lives pretty much spontaneously. So, and eventually that day did approve another type of EpiPen called AviQ. Yeah, well, not another type expensive. of epinephrine injector. Yes, yes. yeah. Um, called uh, the AviQ, that's another option. Unfortunately, it didn't actually, didn't actually result in the price going down Yeah. because there's still only two companies that really do it. Um, the AviQ... Was um uh I think it cost around six hundred dollars still still okay. yeah yeah still but but here's the important thing oh insurance now covers insurance it. largely covers it because Illinois signed a law into effect in two thousand nineteen that mandated ago. insurance to cover epipens and I'm not sure um in how many states um that is uh you know also a law now but I do know that um that in many places it is which means that yeah. A largely insurance covers it, which means that so um, it's the, the cost is largely the price has gone negligible. Down. But I mean, a lot of people also don't have health insurance, you know. So it's and those are the same people, people those who those are the same people who would struggle to, to buy these epipens. So they are still very much in a very difficult spot, and um, it's really a shame to it, see it these is. companies taking advantage of people. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so that's the history of the epipen. Then um, another interesting treatment, um, this one is a more um, 
you know, it happens over a greater period of time. It's not really, um, it won't save you in a life-threatening situation, but it can help it reduce will, your allergies can, overall. Yes, exactly. The severity of your allergies overall, which means that you're le less likely to get into that life-threatening situation. So this is called sublingual treatment. It goes back to 1900s, so around the same time that adrenaline was discovered. Um, um, oral immunotherapy, um, for those of you who know. So sublingual immunotherapy, um, I think, um, at least um, the types that I'm familiar with, um, they kind of immunize you to um, environmental allergens. Exactly. By pretty much you get a, you have a little like a serum, right? That contains your environmental allergy. You put a drop of it under your tongue. You put a drop of it under your tongue and pretty much it exposes you to very small quantities of that environmental allergen, which means that your body is now used to it and will know and is less likely to overreact, right? Yeah. But it's not enough to pretty much give you an allergic reaction, right? Yeah. That's, that's the... That's the concept behind it. This is That's also the concept behind yeah. oral immunotherapy. Check the um, the um, oral immunotherapy article under um, – well, there are two. There's one under stories and there's also another one under treatments. But Emerging the one under treatments – You are already on that site because you're listening to this podcast. Right. But um, – <laughs> nice. But, um, but um, yeah, make sure to check it out under um, – under uh, the treatment section, I believe, because that is the one that um, kind of discovers the science behind it more. Um, but pretty much, um, so it discusses oral immunotherapy specifically, but the science is the same for sublingual immunotherapy and oral immunotherapy, which is pretty much the same thing, except you eat small food, amounts yeah, of for food allergies. allergies. For food allergies. Um, eat, like, this was done, uh, first done with an egg allergy of, um, in 1908. Now, very, very important disclaimer. These should not be done by yourself. They should be done um, under the program or the clinical trial of a trusted allergy doctor. You cannot do this by yourself because you are literally ingesting or exposing yourself to the things that you are allergic to, which could give you a life-threatening yeah, allergic reaction. Yeah, you need very specific dose sizes. Very um, specific dose sizes. There's a very the specific methodology to as to how to do this. So please don't try this by yourself don't or else you are at risk of you know, consequences as extreme as death. Yeah, not, to get you, not to get you, you know, um, not to turn you off of this, but you need to do this under guidance of a doctor or else extremely it's extremely manner. dangerous. Yes. But, um, oh interestingly God. enough, the oral immunotherapy treatment for peanuts was not actually approved by the FDA until the January, until January of 2020. So very so, recent, very recent. Very recently. I think that clinical trials under the guidance of doctors were still allowed to take place at this point, but it really... It's really still an emerging thing. So that history is still being played out. But, um, but yeah, those are, um, uh, you know, that's pretty much the history of, um, of both allergies and true to the and name of our um, program here, Emerging Allergy Treatments. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pollen Cast, and we'll hope to see you again next time. Okay. Bye.